Section 8 of The Court and Character of King James, whereunto is now added The Court of King Charles, by Anthony Weldon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Court of King James, Part 7 And now to return from this digression, which is not impertinent, besides a great secret, the prince returns from Spain, contrary to expectation, in which the wisdom and gravity of the Spaniard failed him especially if they did believe Padre Macestria, besides nature could not long support the old king, and then the Spaniard might have made no little advantage by enjoying such a pledge. But they have confessed their error, yet do palliate it with having the prince's faith in his proxy left with Digby, and got thence with the very same trick Sir Francis Mitchell said he got out of the Inquisition at Rome. Now is all the fault laid on Digby's false play and unfaithfulness to his master, and combining with the Spaniard. And by this piece of service expressing his hatred to the Spaniard for his own ends, the subjects of England having ever naturally hated them, Buckingham, the most hated man then living, from an accused man in the former Parliament, came to be the very darling of this Parliament, and a favourite to the whole kingdom, which after King James's death he has soon lost again, so inconstant are the multitude. In the banqueting-house before both houses of Parliament is Buckingham to give an account of this voyage, which he did at large and to every full point, as a further attestation, he saith, How say you, sir? To which the prince answered, Aye, yea, or yes. And through all this discourse laboured to make Bristol as hateful to this Parliament as himself had been to the former, which, had these things delivered by him and attested by the prince been truths, he had justly deserved death. The accusations were foul and little less than treason, without any legislative power. Digby had some friends who instantly sent this declaration into Spain. Digby acquaints that king, takes his leave of him for England. That king sets his danger before him, offers if he will stay with him, seeing it is for his sake he is like to suffer, he would make him much greater in honour and fortune than his master can do. Digby gives him thanks, but says, he served so just a master that would not condemn him unheard, and should he, yet he had much rather suffer under innocency than lie under the imputation of a false accusation of a fugitive and traitor for the highest preferment in the world. Away, therefore, comes he, puts himself into a desperate passage, lest the Parliament should have been dissolved before his coming and so no place or means left him for his defence, but must lie under those false calumnies, and was here, as the prince came into Spain, sooner than either looked for or welcomed. Into the Parliament comes he with his hat full of papers, where he puts himself upon this point, that if there were one syllable true that Buckingham had delivered, if this, holding up a paper in his hand, be a true copy, I will yield myself guilty of all treasons can be laid to my charge, and said, these papers, pointing to his hat, shall make it manifest. Besides, some of them shall make Buckingham appear a very monster in his lascivious carriages, too, too unchaste for the ears of this honourable assembly. Bristol was instantly committed close prisoner to the tower for a contempt. The next day he was riding through Cheapside in his coach, by which it appears Buckingham's power was in the wane with his old master, his relation and accusation being scandalous and false nor ever durst he bring Bristol to any further trial. Whether this wound was deeper given by Bristol to Buckingham or the Prince, I will leave to the reader to judge, and will not myself determine. 
and how Bristol hath since stood in favour with the prince since he was king, may give a conjecture that he took it as a wound to himself. I am sure it was an ill omen, and hath since given him less credit with his subjects. And in this Parliament doth Buckingham, by his underhand ministers and agents, accuse Cranfield, the Lord Treasurer, in which the prince also shows himself. Cranfield was so hated a fellow for his insolency, that a small accusation would serve the turn, as this truly was, had his care of expending the king's treasure been out of a true zeal. For it should seem that the prince, sending for monies, Cranfield restrained his express, using some words that the journey itself was foolishly undertaken, and now must be maintained by prodigality, in which the revenue of the kingdom would not satisfy their vast expenses. If this had been spoken out of a noble mind, or out of that feeling he had of the kingdom's misery, as being treasury ought to have done, had he fallen, it had been with honour and a general compassion. But being spoken out of the pride and insolency of his own heart, his mind was ever so base, as never to discern what honour was, nor ever had he any other inherent honour than what in his apprenticeship he raked out of the kennel. Besides, it was known to be out of hatred that he was not of counsel in the undertaking he then looking at himself as the only statesman of all the council. He fell without pity, and with much scorn, as I formerly set down, yet left in a higher estate and better condition than so worthless a fellow and base projector deserved. Yet afterwards he was again questioned upon his accounts. But all this was nothing, himself and his posterity being left peers of the realm. In this case was the prince a principal actor, and did duly keep the earliest hours to sit in that Parliament, where then he discerned so much juggling even to serve his own ends on Cranfield, that it was not much to be wondered at being come to be king, he did not affect them. And it was not well that a prince should show so much spleen, though Cranfield deserved any ill could be cast on him. And who knows whether God doth now punish by Italian law to call his own sin to remembrance and to repent? In this place I hold it not unfit to show the reader how the king hath ever been abused, and would be abused, by overmuch credulity in the Treaty of Spain for marriages, as well as in all other negotiations. You shall now perceive how the king was abused in this treaty, which was an error inexcusable in himself and whole council. The Italians having a proverb, He that deceives me once, it's his fault, but if twice, it's my fault. This second time, therefore, could not but be the only fault of the king and council. In Prince Henry's lifetime, the king had a little man, but a very great and wise counsellor, his secretary of state, little Salisbury, that great statesman, who did inherit all his father's wisdom as well as his offices. And the son came little short of the father, who was held the greatest statesman in the world of his time. It is true that one state may abuse another, but not to find out the abuse is an unpardonable fault in any statesman. There was a treaty in the like case for Prince Henry. Salisbury instantly discovered the juggling before any other did think of any, for although it went forward currently, yet did Salisbury so put the Duke of Lerma unto it that either it must be so or they must confess their juggling. The Duke of Lerma denied that ever there had been any treaty or any intention from that state, Salisbury sent for the ambassador to a full council, told him how he had abused the king and state about a treaty for marriage, which he had no commission for, that therefore he was liable to the laws of our kingdom. For where any ambassador doth abuse a state by their master's commission, 
that the servant was freed, but without commission, was culpable and liable to be punished by the laws of that state, as being disavowed to be servant to the king his master. The ambassador answered gravely, he did not understand the cause of his coming, therefore was then unprepared to give any answer. But on Monday he would again come, this being Saturday, and give his answer. On Monday he comes, begins with these words, My soul is my God's, my life my master's, my reputation my own. I will not forfeit the first and last to preserve the second. Then lays down his commission and letters of instruction under the Duke of Lama's own hand. He acquitted himself honestly to this state, yet lost his own, being instantly sent for home, where he lived and died in disgrace. Here was legatus via bonus peregrinus, sed non et mentiendum re publica causa. And had we had as honest and good statesmen in after times as Salisbury was, and so demonstrated himself in this weighty affair, this state could not have been so abused in all treaties. By this you see the advantage and benefit of one wise counsellor in a whole state. And although Solomon say, By the multitude of counsellors doth the kingdom flourish, yet surely he intended they should be wise men that are counsellors. For we had such a multitude of counsellors that a longer table and a larger council chamber was provided. Yet our state was so far from flourishing that it had been almost utterly destroyed. This was the last statesman worthy of that name. And now are the ancient stock of statesmen decayed, and with them all our honour and glory. I shall now bring my story to an end, as I shall this king's life. Although I have made some digressions, yet all pertinent to the discourse of this king's reign. He now goes to his last hunting journey. I mean the last of the year as well as of his life, which he ever ended in Lent, and was seized on by an ordinary and moderate tertian ague, which at that season, according to the proverb, was physic for a king. But it proved not so to him. And poor king, what was but physic to any other, was made mortal to him. Yet not the ague, as himself confessed to a servant of his now living, who cried, Courage, sir, this is but a small fit next will be none at all, at which he most earnestly looked and said, Ah, it is not the ague afflicteth me, but the black plaster and powder given me and laid to my stomach. And in truth the plaster so tormented him that he was glad to have it pulled off, and with it the skin also. Nor was it fair dealing, if he had fair play, which himself suspected, often saying to Montgomery, whom he trusted above all men, in his sickness, for God's sake, look, I have fair play, to bring in an empiric to apply any medicines, whilst those physicians appointed to attend him were at dinner. Nor could any but Buckingham answer it with less than his life at that present, as he had the next Parliament, had it not been dissolved upon the very questioning him for the king's death, and all those that prosecuted him utterly disgraced and banished the court. Buckingham coming into the king's chamber, even when he was at the point of death, and an honest servant of the king's crying, Ah, my lord, you have undone us, all his poor servants, although you are so well provided, you need not care. At which Buckingham kicked at him, who caught his foot and made his head first come to ground, where Buckingham, presently rising, run to the dying king's bedside and cried, Justice, sir, I am abused by your servant and wrongfully accused. 
at which the poor king, become by that time speechless, mournfully fixed his eyes on him, as who would have said, not wrongfully. It were worth the knowledge what his confession was, or what other expressions he made of himself, or any other. But that was only known to the dead Archbishop Abbot, and the Bishop Williams then also Lord Keeper. And it was thought Williams had blabbed something which incensed the king's anger, and Buckingham's hatred so much against him, that the loss of his place could not be expiatory sufficient. But his utter ruin must be determined, and that not upon any known crime, but upon circumstances and examinations, to pick out faults committed in his whole lifetime. But his greatest crime for the present, no question, was lapsus lingue. But quod defertur non aufertur, for although he escaped by the calm of that Parliament, yet is he more ruined by this Parliament and his own folly. And truly we may observe the just judgment of God on him, for flying from the Parliament his protector, to give wicked counsel to the king, his former prosecutor. And now have I brought this great king's reign to an end, in a volant discourse, and shall give you his character in brief, and so leave him in peace after his life, who was styled the King of Peace in his life. End of section 8